Story 14 of L. M. Montgomery's Short Stories from 1902 to 1903. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lucy Maud Montgomery, Short Stories, 1902 to 1903 by Lucy Maud Montgomery. The Magical Bond of the Sea. A late September wind from the northwest was sweeping over the waters of Rassicot Harbor. It blew in, strong with the tang of the salt seas, past the grim lighthouse rock on the one hand and the sandbars on the other, up the long narrow funnel of darkly blue water, until it whistled among the masts of the boats at anchor and among the stove-pipe chimneys of the fishing village. It was a wind that sang and piped and keened of many things, but what it sang to each listener was only what was in the listener's heart. And Nora Shelley, standing at the door of her father's bleached cottage on the gray sands, heard a new strain in it the wind had sung often to her of the odor world she longed for but there had never been the note of fulfillment in it before there's a new life beyond nora whistled the wind a good life and it's yours for the taking you have but to put out your hand and all you've wished for will be in your grasp nora leaned out from the door to meet the wind she loved that northwest gale it was a staunch old friend of hers very slim and straight was nora with the skin as white as the foam flakes crisping over the sands, and eyes of the tremulous haunting blue that deepens on the water after a fair sunset. But her hair was as black as midnight, and her lips blossomed out with a ripe redness against the uncolored purity of her face. She was far and away the most beautiful of the harbor girls, but hardly the most popular. Men and women alike thought her proud. Even her friends felt themselves called upon to make excuses for her unlikeness to themselves. Nora had dosed the door behind her to shut in the voices. She wanted to be alone with the wind while she made her decision. Before her, the sandy shingle, made firm by a straggling growth of some pale sea ivy, sloped down to the sapphire cup of the harbor. Around her were the small, uncouth houses of the village, no smaller or more uncouth than the one which was her home, with children playing noisily in the paths between them. The mackerel boats curtsied and nodded outside. Beyond them the sharp tip of Sandy Point was curdled white with seagulls. Down at the curve of the cove a group of men were laughing and talking loudly in front of French Joe's fish-house. This was the life that she had always known. Across the harbour on the fur-fringed headland stood Delvey. John Cameron, childless millionaire, had built a summer cottage on that point two years ago, and given it the name of the old ancestral estate in Scotland. To the Rassicot fishing folk, the house and grounds were as a dream of enchantment made real. Few of them had ever seen anything like it. Nora Shelley knew Dalvey well. She had been the Cameron's guest many times that summer, finding in the luxury and beauty of their surroundings something that entered with a strange aptness into her own nature it was as if it were hers by right of fitness and this was a life that might be hers did she so choose in reality her choice was already made and she knew it but it pleased her to pretend for a little time that it was not and to dally tenderly with the old loves and emotions that tugged at her heart and clamoured to be remembered within in the low-ceilinged living-room with its worn uneven floors and its blackened walls hung with fish-nets and oilskins four people were sitting john cameron and his wife were given the seats of honour in the middle of the room mrs cameron was a handsome well-dressed woman with an expression that was discontented and at times petulant yet her face had a good deal of plain common sense in it and not even the most critical of the rassicot folks could say that she put on airs her husband was a small white-haired man with a fresh young-looking face he was popular in rassicot for he mingled freely with the sailors and fishermen moreover dalvey was an excellent market for fresh mackerel 
Nathan Shelley, in his favorite corner behind the stove, sat lurching forward with his hands on his knees. He had laid aside his pipe out of deference to Mrs. Cameron, and it was hard for him to think without it. He wished his wife would go to work. It seemed uncanny to see her idle. She had sat idly only once that he remembered, the day they had brought Ned Shelley in, dank and dripping, after the August storm ten years before. Mrs. Shelley sat by the crooked, small-paned window and looked out down the harbour. The coat she had been patching for her husband when the Camerons came still lay in her lap, and she had folded her hands upon it. She was a big woman, slow of speech and manner, with a placid, handsome face, a face that had not visibly stirred even when she had heard the Camerons' proposition. They wanted Nora, these rich people who had so much in life wanted the blossom of girlhood that had never bloomed for them. John Cameron pleaded his cause well. We will look on her as our own he said at last we have grown to love her this summer she is beautiful and clever she has a right to more than rassicot can give her you have other children we are childless and we do not take her from you utterly you will see her every summer when we come to dalvey it won't be the same thing quite said nathan shelley dryly she'll belong to your life then not ours and no matter how many young ones folks has they don't want to lose none of em but i don't know as we ought to let our feelings stand in nora's light she's clever and she's been hankering for more than we can ever give her i was the same way once lord how i raged at racicot i broke away finally went to a city and got work but it wasn't no use i'd left it too long the sea had got into my blood I toughed it out for two years, and then I had to come back. I didn't want to, mark you, but I had to come. Been here ever since. But maybe twill be different with the girl. She's younger than I was. If the hankering for the sea and the life of the shore hasn't got into her too deep, maybe she'll be able to cut loose for good. But you don't know how the sea calls to one of its own. Cameron smiled. He thought that this dry old salt was a bit of a poet in his own way. Very likely Nora got her ability and originality from him. There did not seem to be a great deal in the phlegmatic, good-looking mother. "'What say, wife?' asked Shelley at last. His wife had said in her slow way, "'Leave it to Nora.' and to Nora it was left. When she came in at last, her face stung to radiant beauty by the northwest wind, she found it hard to tell them, after all. She looked at her mother appealingly. "'Is it go or stay, girl?' demanded her father brusquely. "'I think I'll go,' said Nora slowly. Then, catching sight of her mother's face, she ran to her and flung her arms about her. "'But I'll never forget you, mother,' she cried. "'I'll love you always, you and father.' Her mother loosened the clinging arms and pushed her gently towards the Camerons. "'Go to them,' she said calmly. "'You belong to them now.' The news spread quickly over Racicot. Before night, everyone on the harbour shore knew that the Camerons were going to adopt Nora Shelley and take her away with them. There was much surprise and more envy. The shore women tossed their heads. "'Reckon Nora is in great feather,' they said. "'She always did think herself better than anyone else. Nate Shelley and his wife spoiled her ridiculous. Wonder what Rob Fletcher thinks of it.' Nora asked her brother to tell the news to Rob Fletcher himself, but Moran Andrews was before him. She was at Rob before he had fairly landed when the fishing boats came in at sunset. "'Have you heard the news, Rob? Nora's going away to be a fine lady. The Camerons have been daft about her all summer, and now they are going to adopt her.' Moran wanted Rob herself. He was a big, handsome fellow, and well off, the pick of the harbour men in every way. He had slighted her for Nora, and it pleased her to stab him now, though she meant to be nice to him later on. He turned white under his tan, but he did not choose to make a book of his heart for Moran's bold black eyes to read. "'It's a great thing for her,' he answered calmly. "'She was meant for better things than can be found at Racicot.' "'She was always too good for common folks, if that's what you mean,' said Moran, spitefully. 
Nora and Rob did not meet until the next evening, when she rowed herself home from Dalvey. He was at the shore to tie up her boat and help her out. They walked up the sands together in the heart of the autumn sunset, with the northwest wind whistling in their ears and the great star of the lighthouse gleaming wanly out against the golden sky. Nora felt uncomfortable and resented it. Rob Fletcher was nothing to her. He never had been anything but the good friend to whom she told her strange thoughts and longings. Why should her heart ache over him? She wished he would talk, but he strode along in silence with his fine head drooping a little. "'I suppose you have heard that I am going away, Rob,' she said at last. He nodded. "'Yes, I have heard it from a hundred mouths, more or less,' he answered, not looking at her. "'It's a splendid thing for me, isn't it?' dared Nora. "'Well, I don't know,' he said slowly. "'Looking at it from the outside, it seems so. But from the inside, it mayn't look the same. Do you think you'll be able to cut twenty years of a life out of your heart without any pain?' "'Oh, I'll be homesick, if that is what you mean,' said Nora petulantly. "'Of course I'll be that at first. I expect it. But people get over that. And it is not as if I were going away for good. I'll be back next summer, every summer.' "'It'll be different,' said Rob stubbornly, thinking as old Nathan Shelley had thought. "'You'll be a fine lady. Oh, all the better for that, perhaps. But you'll not be the same. No, no, the new life will change you. Not all at once, maybe, but in the end. You'll be one of them, not one of us.' But will you be happy? That's the question I'm asking. In anyone else, Nora would have resented this, but she never felt angry with Rob. I think I shall be, she said thoughtfully, and anyway, I must go. It doesn't seem as if I could help myself if I wanted to. Something, out beyond there, is calling me, always has been calling me, ever since I was a tiny girl and found out there was a big world far away from Racicot. And it always seems to me that I would find a way to do it some day. That was why I kept going to school long after the other girls stopped. Mother thought I'd better stop home. She said too much book learning would make me discontented and too different from the people I had to live along. But father let me go. He understood. He said I was like him when he was young. I learned everything and read everything I could. It seems to me as if I had been walking along a narrow pathway all my life and now it seems as if a gate were opened before me and i can pass through into a wider world it isn't the luxury and the pleasure or the fine house and dresses that tempt me though the people here think so even mother thinks so but it is not it's just that something seems to be in my grasp that i've always longed for and i must go rob i must go yes if you feel like that you must go he answered looking down at her troubled face gently and it's best for you to go nora i believe that and i'm not so selfish as not to be able to hope that you'll find all you long for but it will change you all the more if it is so nora nora what am i going to do without you the sudden passion bursting out of his tone frightened her don't rob don't and you won't miss me long there's many another no there isn't don't fling me that dry bone of comfort there's no other and never has been any other none but you nora and well you know it i'm sorry she said faintly you needn't be said rob grimly after all i'd rather love you than not hurt as it will i never had much hope of getting you to listen to me so there's no great disappointment there you're too good for me i've always known that a girl that is fit to mate with the camerons is far above rob fletcher fisherman i never had such a thought protested nora I know what he said, casting himself up in his quietness again, but it's so, and now I've got to lose you. But there'll never be any other for me, Nora. He left her at her father's door. She watched his stalework figure out of sight around the point, and raged to find tears in her eyes and a bitter yearning in her heart. For a moment she repented. She would stay. She could not go. Then over the harbor flashed out the lights of Dalvey. The life behind them glittered, allured, beckoned. Nay, she must go on. She had made her choice. There was no turning back now. Nora Shelley went away with the Camerons, and Dalvey was deserted. 
winter came down on Rassicot harbor and the colony of fisher folk at its head gave themselves over to the idleness of the season a time for lounging and gossiping and long hours of lazy contentment smoking in the neighbors chimney corners when tales were told of the sea and the fishing the harbor laid itself out to be sociable in winter there was no time for that in summer people had to work eighteen hours out of the twenty-four then in the winter there was spare time to laugh and quarrel woo and wed and were a man so minded dream as did rob fletcher in his loneliness in the Rassicot winter much was made of small things the arrival of nora shelley's weekly letter to her father and mother was an event in the village the postmistress in the cove store spread the news that it had come and that night the shelley kitchen would be crowded isabel shelley nora's younger sister read the letter aloud by virtue of having gone to school long enough to be able to pronounce the words and tell where the places named were situated the camerons had spent the autumn in new york and had gone south for the winter nora wrote freely of her new life in the beginning she admitted great homesickness but after the first few letters she made no further mention of that she wrote little of herself but she described fully the places she had visited the people she had met the wonderful things she had seen she sent affectionate messages to all her old friends and asked after all her old interests but the letters came to be more and more like those of a stranger and one apart from the racicot life and the father and mother felt it she's changing muttered old nathan it had to be so it's well for her that it is so but it hurts she ain't ours any more we've lost our girl wife lost her forever rob fletcher always came and listened to the letters in silence while the others buzzed and commented rob so the harbor folk said was much changed he had grown unsociable and preferred to stay home and read books rather than go a-visiting as did others the harbor folk shook their heads over this there was something wrong with the man who read books when there was plenty of other amusements jacob radnor had read books all one winter and had drowned himself in the spring jumped overboard from his dory at the herring nets and that was what came of books mark you the camerons came late to dalvey the next summer on account of john cameron's health which was not good it was the first of august before a host of servants came to put delvey in habitable order and a week later the family came they brought a host full of guests with them at sunset on the day of her arrival nora shelley looked out across the harbour to the fishing village she was tired after her journey and she had not meant to go over until the morning but now she knew she must go at once her mother was there the old life called to her the northwest wind swept up the channel and whistled alluringly to her at the window of her luxurious room it brought to her the tang of the salt waste and filled her heart with a great bittersweet yearning she was more beautiful than ever in the year that had passed she had blossomed out to a gracious fulfillment of womanhood even the camerons had wondered at her swift adaptation to her new surroundings she seemed to have put rassicot behind her as one puts by an old garment in everything she had held her own royally her adopted parents were proud of her beauty and her nameless untamed charm they had lavished every indulgence upon her in those few short months she had lived more keenly and fully than in all her life before the nora shelley who went away was not so it would seem the nora shelley who came back but when she looked from a window to the waves and saw the star of the lighthouse and the blaze of the sunset in the window of the fishing-houses and heard the summons of the wind something broke loose in her soul and overwhelmed her like a wave of the sea she must go at once at once at once not a moment could she wait she was dressed for dinner but with tingling fingers she threw off her costly gown and put on her dark travelling suit again she left her hair as it was and knotted a crimson scarf about her head she would slip away quietly to the boathouse get davy to launch the little sailboat for her and then for a fleet skim over the harbour before that glorious wind she hoped not to be seen but mrs cameron met her in the hall nora she said in astonishment 
"'Oh, I must go, Auntie, I must go,' the girl cried feverishly. She was afraid Mrs. Cameron would try to prevent her going, and all at once she knew that she could not bear that. "'Must go? Where? Dinner is almost ready, and—oh, I don't want any dinner. I'm going home. I will sail over.' "'My dear child, don't be foolish. It's too late to go over the harbour to-night. They won't be expecting you. Wait until the morning.' "'No. Oh, you don't understand. I must go. I must. My mother is over there.' something in the girl's last sentence or the tone in which it was uttered brought a look of pain to mrs cameron's face but she made no further attempt to dissuade her well if you must but you cannot go alone no nora i cannot allow it the wind is too high and it is too late for you to go over by yourself clark bryant will take you nora would have protested but she knew it would be in vain she submitted somewhat sullenly and walked down to the shore in silence clark bryant strode beside her humouring her mood he was a tall stout man with an ugly clever sarcastic face he was as clever as he looked and was one of the younger millionaires whom john cameron drew around him in the development of his huge financial schemes bryant was in love with nora this was why the camerons had asked him to join their august house party at dalvey and why he had accepted it had occurred to nora that this was the case but as yet she had never troubled to think the situation over seriously she liked clark bryant well enough but just at the moment he was in the way she did not want to take him over to racicot just why she could not have explained there was in her no snobbish shame of her humble home but he did not belong there he was an alien and she wished to go back to it for the first time alone at the boathouse davy launched the small sailboat and nora took the tiller she knew every inch of the harbour as the sail filled before the wind and the boat sprang across the upcurling waves her brief sullenness fell away from her she no longer resented clark bryant's present she forgot it he was no more to her than the mass by which she stood the spell of the sea and the wind surged into her heart and filled it with wild happiness and measureless content over yonder where the lights gleamed on the darkening shore under the high-sprung arch of pale golden sky was home how the wind whistled to welcome her back the lash of it against her face the flick of salt spray on her lips the swing of the boat as it cut through the racing crest how glorious it all was clark bryant watched her understanding all at once that he was nothing to her that he had no part or lot in her heart he was as one forgotten and left behind and how lovely how desirable she was he had never seen her look so beautiful the shawl had slipped down to her shoulders and her head rose out of it like some magnificent flower out of a crimson calyx the masses of her black hair lifted from her face in the rush of the wind and swayed back again like rich shadows her lips were stung scarlet with the sea's sharp caresses and her eyes large and splendid looked past him unseeing to the harbour lights of racicot when they swung in by the wharf nora sprang from the boat before bryant had time to moor it pausing for an instant she called down to him carelessly don't wait for me i shall not go back to-night then she caught her shawl around her head and almost ran up the wharf and along the shore no one was abroad for it was supper hour in racicot in the shelly kitchen the family was gathered around the table when the door was flung open and nora stood on the threshold for a moment they gazed at her as at an apparition they had not known the precise day of her coming and were not aware of the cameron's arrival at dalvey it's the girl herself it's nora said old nathan rising from his bench mother cried nora she ran across the room and buried a face in her mother's breast sobbing when the news spread the racicot people crowded in to see nora until the house was full they spent a noisy merry whole-hearted evening of the old sort the men smoked and most of the women knitted while they talked they were pleased to find that nora did not put on any airs old jonas myers bluntly told her that he didn't see as her year among the rich folks had done her much good after all 
"'You're just the same as when you went away,' he said. "'They haven't made a fine lady of you. "'Folks here thought you'd be something wonderful.' "'Nora laughed. "'She was glad that they did not find her changed. "'Old Nathan chuckled in his dry way. "'There was a difference in the girl, and he saw it, "'though the neighbors did not, "'but it was not the difference he had feared. "'His daughter was not utterly taken from him yet. "'Nora sat by her mother and was happy. "'But as the evening wore away, "'she grew very quiet and watched the door "'with something piteous in her eyes. "'Old Nathan noticed it and thought she was tired. "'He gave the curious neighbors a good-natured hint, "'and they presently withdrew. "'When they had all gone, Nora went out to the door alone. "'The wind had died down, and the shore, "'jammed with its twinkling lights, was very still, "'for it was too late an hour for Rassicot folk "'to be abroad in the mackerel season. "'The moon was rising, and the harbour "'was a tossing expanse of silver waves. "'The mellow light fell on a tall figure "'lurking at the angle of the road "'that led past the Shelley cottage. "'Nora saw and recognised it. "'She flew down the sandy slope with outstretched hands. "'Rob! Rob! Nora!' he said huskily, "'holding out his hands. "'But she flung herself on his breast "'and clung to him, half laughing, half crying. "'Oh, Rob, I've been looking for you all evening. "'Every time there was a step, I said to myself, "'That is Rob now, and when the door opened, "'it led in another. "'My heart died within me. "'I dared not even ask after you "'for fear of what they might tell me. "'Why didn't you come?' "'I didn't know that I'd be welcome,' he whispered, "'holding her closer to him. "'I've been hanging about, thinking to get a glimpse of you unbeknown. "'I thought maybe you wouldn't want to see me tonight. "'Not want to see you? "'Oh, Rob, this evening at Delvey, when I looked across at Rassicot, "'it was you I thought of before all, even before Mother.' "'She drew back and looked at him with her soul in her eyes. "'What a splendid fellow you are! "'How handsome you are, Rob!' she cried. All the reserve of womanhood fell away from her in the inrush of emotions. For the moment she was a child again, telling out of her thoughts with all a child's frankness. I've been in a dream this past year, a lovely dream, a fair dream, but only a dream, after all. And now I've wakened, and you are part of the wakening, the best part. Oh, to think I never knew before. Knew what, my girl? He had her close against his heart now, the breath of her lips mingled with his, but he would not kiss her yet. That I loved you, she whispered back. Oh, Rob, you are all the world to me. I belong to you in the sea. But I never knew it until I crossed the harbour to-night. Then I knew. It came to me all at once, like a flood of understanding. I knew I could never go away again. That I must stay here forever, where I could hear that call of wind and waves. The new life was good. Good, but it could not go deep enough. And when you did not come, I knew what was in my heart for you as well. That night Nora lay beside her sisters in the tiny room that looked out on the harbour. The young girl slept soundly, but Nora kept awake to listen to the laughter of the wind outside and con over what she and Rob had said to each other. There was no blot on her happiness save a sorry wonder what the Camerons would say when they knew. They will think me ungrateful and fickle, she sighed. They don't know that I can't help it, even if I would. They will never understand. Nor did they. When Nora told them she was going back to Rassicot, they laughed at her kindly at first, treating it as the passing whim of a homesick girl. Later, when they came to understand that she meant it, they were grieved and angry. There were scenes of pleading and tears and reproaches. Nora cried bitterly in Mrs. Cameron's arms, but stood rock firm. She could never go back to them. Never. They appealed to Nathan Shelley finally, but he refused to say anything. It can't be altered, he told them. The sea has called her, and she'll listen to nought else. I'm sorry enough for the girl's own sake. It would have been better for her if she could have cut loose from it all and lived your life. I dare say. But you've made a fair trial, and it's of no use. I know what's in her heart. It was in mine once. And I'll say no word of rebuke to her. She's free to go or stay as she chooses, just as free as she was last year. Mrs. Cameron made one more appeal to Nora. She told the girl bitterly that she was ungrateful. "'I'm not that,' said Nora, with quivering lips. "'I love you, and I'm grateful to you. "'But your life isn't for me, after all. "'I thought it was. "'I long so for it. "'And I loved it, too. "'I love it yet. "'But there's something stronger in me "'that holds me here.' 
"'I don't think you realize what you are doing, Nora. "'You have been a little homesick, and you are glad to be back. "'But after we have gone, and you must settle into the old Rassicott life again, "'you will not be contented. "'You will find that your life with us will have unfitted you for this. "'There will be no real place for you here, nothing for you to do. "'You will be as a stranger here.' "'Oh, no, I am going to marry Rob Fletcher,' said Nora proudly. "'Marry Rob Fletcher, and you might have married Clark Bryant? "'Nora!' Nora shook her head. "'That could never have been. I thought it might once. "'But I know better now. You see, I love Rob.' "'There did not seem to be anything more to say after that. "'Mrs. Cameron did not try to say anything. She went away in sorrow. "'Nora cried bitterly after she had gone, "'but there was no tears in her eyes that night "'when she walked on the shore with Rob Fletcher. "'The wind whistled around them, "'and the stars came out in the great ebony dome of the sky over the harbour. "'Laughter and song of the fishing folk were behind them, "'and the deep, solemn call of the sea before. "'Over the harbour gleamed the score of lights at Dalvey. "'Rob looked from them to Nora. "'Do you think you'll ever regret your life, my girl?' "'Never, Rob. "'It seems to me like a beautiful garment put on for a holiday "'and worn easily and pleasantly for a time but i've put it off now and put on workaday clothes again it is only a week since i left dalvey but it seems long ago listen to the wind rob it is singing of the good days to be for you and me he bent over and kissed her my own dear lass he said softly end of the magical bond of the sea